2: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England zone, band, Helsing. With me, all the way from across the pond, is the young gentleman himself, Mr. Parascience Steve Parsons. Good afternoon,
0: Ron. How are you? Well, is it afternoon or is it evening? Well, I'm speaking backwards in time, so for you, it's afternoon. We do this every week. You're, you're in my future, right? I'm in your future. I'm your worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> how's, I... your hurric- how's your hurricane doing down south? That's way down south. It's, it's getting ready to hit, so, you know. I've been watching it because uh, a few years ago, I spent some time in uh, the Gulf Coast around Gulfport and uh, Tallahassee, that part of uh, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, so... Uh, I remember uh, they were suffering. I think, was it Andrew had gone through prior to Katrina? I think Andrew was uh, another big storm.
2: I think Andrew came through Florida, but I could be wrong. We get them all the time, so it's kind of like, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I saw saw Tampa the other day. They had 65-mile-an-hour winds and driving rain. And over here in Pembrokeshire, we had 50-mile-an-hour driving winds. Uh, drought rain and wind, and they called it Tropical Storm Isaac. We called it Bank Holiday Monday. Bank Holiday Monday, I like that. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, uh, I just was thinking when you were talking about that, the hurricane and everything else. Uh, you listened, by the way, you listened to uh, Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, have you ever heard of any haunted, like, oil
0: rigs? Oh uh, no, <clears throat> I haven't. Uh, there are haunted offshore sea forts in the English. Channel. Yeah, I know. Channel.
2: You get there. Those are pretty cool. Um, you know, if I ever get over there, that's one of my my uh, you know my wish list, my bucket list is to see one of those.
0: Uh, well, there's, yeah. there's two or three near me, but there's some in the English Channel as well. The bigger ones in the English Channel. Yeah. Um, I think they're all privately owned, but uh, I think two of them that I know of. And two locally that I'm aware of have got reputations for uh, being haunted. Really? So,
2: I mean, do we know who would be? Who- I mean, it's, for, first of all, uh, for the people in the states, they may not uh, know what one of these forts is. Can you tell us a little bit about them? How how they came well, about?
0: Yeah, I mean, there are two. There are two basic types. Um, one is your traditional castle-looking fort, which are built on uh, headlands, rocks, or islands off the coast, and they were primarily all built around the middle, latter part of the 19th century, when uh, Great Britain was at war with France, and it was to protect our ports. You
2: know, when, and when weren't, weren't they at war with
0: France, you know what I mean? Well, I think we've always been at war with France, France bless them, uh, except twice in 1914, and 1939, when we yeah we bailed in to help them, as did you guys.
2: Well, I mean that's not exactly true because the Germans occupied them, and so then you were you were in battle with the Vichy.
0: Yeah, but we built the Channel Tunnel for them a few years ago, so that next time Germany decides to invade, the French can all get over here pretty quick. Okay, there you go. So, so we've gone from the weather channel to the history channel.
2: <laughs> yeah, so i want to go back to the history channel because I, I, I really am interested a little bit in these forts. I mean, we we know very little about them. I mean, you, you mentioned ones that are actually built on, on pieces of land, but there are some that are built like on stilts or something, right?
0: Yes, in the um – in the English Channel, and indeed here in Pembrokeshire, we have a number of forts that are actually built directly into the water on piles or stilts. Um, so they're in effect a sort of isolated uh, fortress uh, separate from the land. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one about two miles from where I live called South Hook Battery, which is actually a pretty big stone uh, structure. Really? Um and there are, there are a number of uh, ones built in the English Channel which are standing on stilts or pylons uh, so the water can pass underneath them. But the one uh, near me is actually built in the estuary mouth and protects the whole of the Milford Haven uh, River uh, and port facility from uh, naval attack.
2: So the purpose of them was, it, what, an artillery battery, aircraft battery, or, or all the above, or?
0: Well, originally they were built to protect against uh, naval bombardment and uh, direct sea attack, but during the you know their, their extended history, uh, many of them were still in use during World War II as anti anti aircraft anti shipping batteries.
2: Mm-hmm. So, do we know any of the stories that go with them about the hauntings? I mean, you did mention that you you heard a couple of things. I mean. Who would be haunting these and and for what reason? Um,
0: I can can speak with with a degree of uh, (coughs) certainty about the local ones. Um, Okay, that's good. One of which is a claim to be haunted by the ghost of a uh, surgeon uh, who who murdered uh, one of the other soldiers in the battery. Uh, mm-hmm. Incidentally, this has got a land element to it, too, because in the, in the uh, graveyard not very far away, in the cemetery not very far away, there's actually a headstone um, upon which is supposed to appear the impression of a dagger in the stone uh, at certain times of the year. Really? Uh, on, the, on the headstone of the, of the, the murdered man. Uh, it's been a while since I've looked into this one, so you have to forgive the degree of uncertainty because it's more of a, more of a folklore ghost story than a, an active ghost story that, you know, that you can get in and contemporarily investigate. But um, there have been, you know, over the years, has been, the, the rumour has grown and spread, particularly amongst the local uh, children um, who, you know, would climb in and explore these forts. But in recent years, with health and safety legislation, the owners, who are the Port Authority, have taken great steps to uh, weld steel doors over all the entrances and prevent access to these uh, big uh, military structures, which, you know, they can't demolish them. They're just too vast and too mm-hmm. too, too well-constructed. Um, and so they've just been left largely to go derelict. Um, Locally, there's, there's a number that have been partially restored. Uh, one has been, or was used in the 1970s and '80s as a hotel. Oh, uh, that's cool. Another is used by uh, a petroleum company, uh, was formerly its headquarters, and that's now in the process of being returned to uh, or parts of it are being returned to how it looked as a military barracks uh, and military battery. But there around here um, and, again, around uh, Portsmouth uh, and the big uh, around the Thames estuary, um, we have these sort of Napoleonic defences and post-Napoleonic defences. And, you know, there's they are vast, huge concrete and stone structures um, designed to protect the ports. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I even know when I was researching my book goes Today* that uh, you can go back to Roman times and see some of the structures that uh, I, I believe it was uh, a, a lighthouse. And I think we talked about this uh, a little while ago, but there was a lighthouse that the Romans had built.
0: Uh, yes, I think that's uh, on the Kent coast. There's also uh, around Portsmouth. There's a Roman fort right on the uh, right on the coast, and indeed in North Wales we have um, another Roman facility with that used to have a lighthouse. That's now I think had a church put on top of it, and that's at Holyhead uh, Mm -hmm. on the Isle of Anglesey. So, um, yeah, we've we've got coastal. I mean, we're we're a maritime nation. You know, we're surrounded on all sides. So we have to, you know, ever since the Romans arrived and before that, I I guess, right through the Saxon period, um, you know, then the Vikings came and raided Great Britain. And, and so we've always needed coastal defences. We've always required these. And it, many of them are, are still there, and many of them do have hauntings and, and legends attached to them. Uh, but many of them are just that, because they're in private ownership or they're owned by, by national heritage, which means that they're largely inaccessible to investigation. Um, but they all you know, do have, many of them do have, uh, ghost stories, haunted legends attached to them.
2: So the, the national heritage, which is uh, it's kind of like a historic uh, arm of the government, is that correct? Is that what that is? Yeah.
0: English heritage and its, its Welsh and Scottish-Irish counterparts um, are, are arms of the government bureaucracy. Um, they're there to entrust it and protect this thing from the nation, which means generally nobody in the nation can go anywhere near the damn things. So uh, they're, they're, they're so well protected for us that we can't access them. Well, that's kind of silly, but, well,
2: you know, I, I've been really lucky because uh, I've had some, you know, great access to some great historic landmarks in, in the U.S. And, and, well, primarily in New England, but also in other parts. And, uh, you know, as long as you don't abuse them, I don't, I don't see the harm in doing it. If anything, it calls attention to it and actually raises some money for them as well at times.
0: Well, I, I, I would agree with you totally. Um, I mean, these structures are just lying abandoned. They're largely overgrown. Um, they're, not go- they're not going to be damaged by tourism or visitors, uh, but it's actively discouraged. And I think the prime driving force behind the active discouragement is these days health and safety legislation um, because the, the owners, whoever they may be, uh, simply don't want litigation. Uh, when somebody when, when somebody uh ha, you know falls injures themselves or or whatever inside the building um, even you know it, we, we have approached over the years one or two uh, with offers to sign disclaimers or you know point out that we do have our own indemnity insurances but their their attitude generally is one of they can't be bothered with the additional hassle of having people around, so it's usually a flat no response huh.
2: Oh, that's sad. That's really sad. I know that a couple of instances I have run into that same problem where uh, you just, you know, they just don't want anything to do with you. But anyways, yeah. um, I think we're going to change gears here in a second. But uh, before we do that, why don't we bring on uh, an episode of my uh, favorite girl, Vala and Beyond Bizarre.
1: Blood not so simple. Even broken down into its simplest parts, blood is a pretty complex substance. Vampires drink it, humanitarians donate it, and just the thought of it makes some people faint. It makes up 7% of our body weight, and it's the stuff that keeps us alive. So it's not surprising that the sticky substance is the subject of much speculation, myth, fable, and folklore, as well as a good old-fashioned fact. Here's a brief sampling of some blood-related oddities. If someone were to literally rip your heart out and place it on the end of a long jump track, the powerful pressure of its pumping mechanism would squirt blood upwards of 30 feet. The average lifespan of a red blood cell is 120 days. A newborn baby has about one cup of blood in his body. There are approximately 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. In the early 19th century, some advertisements claimed that riding a carousel was good for the circulation of blood. Some terrifying tidbits from Bala Ventura's Beyond Bazaar.
2: Well, do you know any of that?
0: Uh, well, I used to be a nurse, so I, I've waded in my first share of blood over the years.
2: <laughs> I guess you have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Incidentally, we'll go go back to the Weather Channel thing if we can just for a minute, um, because these giant tropical storms and hurricanes are generating a huge amount of of infrasound, which you know what, i mean I've got an interest in, and I'm wondering is there any uh, any link between you know storm activity, thunderstorm activity, which is more short-lived, but these big, intense, powerful uh, Atlantic storms, and an increase in people you know having reported paranormal experiences you know do more people see ghosts in hurricane season in the south
2: that, that's interesting but I, I don't know how you could make the leap to say it's just infrastructure all of a sudden wouldn't it increase the amount of activity uh atmospheric pressure humidity all that stuff is going to play into effect i would think
0: well, I can only stick to my area of expertise, and that's infrasound. And right, infrasound right. is is generated, you know, I, I know uh, that, that these big tropical storms will be generating a huge amount of infrasound. Now, that's not localized to the storm. You're talking, you know, uh, 100, 200 miles around the storm, you will be, there uh, will be a large increase in the amount of this, this low frequency sound. Um, and it would just be, you know, interesting. You know, uh, we know that there is a link um, between infrasound and people having a subjective paranormal experience, uh, si- uh, you know, sensing presence, feeling anxious, feeling nauseous, feeling disturbed. I was wondering, uh, uh, it might be something for me to do, actually, um, to, to look at um, the links between an increased number of Paranormal experiences during hurricane season
2: yeah I, I think that you could but I mean you're going to look at it for one particular which is interesting because you know if you're only looking hmm that's that's really interesting uh, well if, if
0: we if, if we look at too many parameters at the same time we end up confusing ourselves with the data so it would be uh, is there more paranormal activity reported during uh, hurricane season Oh, well, that then, would be. That then, would, yeah, that then would then start to you know, then start to track it out as to why.
2: Right, I, I agree. That would be your general uh, premise that that our our, our theory that uh, hurricanes increase the amount of paranormal activity, and then you can go from there and look at the various facets of it. Um, hmm, that's kind of cool, though. I would think. I mean, when we. we how many times have you heard about the
0: you know the influence of the moon upon uh, human behavior i i 'll tell you what's well known um, you ask any any British cop and he will tell you that uh, during periods of full moon they they have far more trouble and make far more arrests for disorder and uh, and other sort of petty crime
2: that wouldn't make sense i mean that's Basically, where they get the uh, term "lunatic" from is, is the influence of the, the moon on us. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. But uh, is it coincidence or is it directly? I mean, can we plot it in in on a uh, a graph and say, okay, we can actually see the increase? Or are we just taking okay? It just happens to be, you know, somebody says it, and then you know, do, I mean, do we have really data?
0: Um, not that I'm aware of, but. Uh, we have a lot of uh, cops TV shows, and it's surprising. <laughs> it's surprising how many times they they they'll interview, uh, you know, the cops, and they say, you know, we have lots of quiet nights, and then you can tell when it's full moon, even without looking out the window, just by the sheer quantity of, you know, increase in the in the workload, um, and the arrest rate goes up as well. And I I I know several. Uh, members, you know, the emergency services, the police, uh, hospitals, and they, they also have this sort of increase in the number of people having accidents and the number of uh, people getting themselves arrested during the period of the full moon.
2: Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you, if, I'm, I'm not sure what type of inertia you were, but, uh, you know, I mean, would there be an increase in the amount of activity in, for instance, hospitals and so forth during full moon? You know, because I've seen TV shows where they've said that, but... Just because they said it doesn't mean it makes it true, you
0: know what I mean? Well, to answer the first part of your question, uh, what type of nurse was I? A very good one. Um, I I was a general nurse. I worked um, primarily in acute care, so A&E or uh, different areas around that would would be sort of fairly typical. Um, In terms of the full moon, yes, we, we did get an increase in... Uh, the number of people coming in having road accidents, or mainly fighting, they, you know, they uh, they would sort of beat them, beat themselves, and beat each other senseless uh, mm-hmm. on a Saturday night, or a, you know, a, a night of a full, a night around a full moon, and it would, um, you know, it, there would be a definite increase. You you just knew when it was full, you know, the period of the full moon. Um, it wasn't like that that night and that night only. It would rise and then it would fall away, and you'd have this sort of quiet period. But then it would peak up again. Um, but yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, we actually uh, uh, a comment in the in the chat room, the to- uh, the uh, Parallax chat room. That says they be- they believe that it does. And uh, let me see if I can just pull it up. Uh, the, the moon affects the tide, so I can understand how it. And would influence the increased activity, either paranormal uh, or actual men. So uh, that's kind of interesting.
0: Well, if it affects the living, it might affect uh, the, the the. Dead. Uh, well, a spiritualist wouldn't say dead, would they? Um, they they, oh. they just describe death as a transition between two phases of life. Um, so. The, if, if anybody wants to call living in. living and the next phase of living.
2: <laughs> anybody wants to call in and, and somebody did ask for the number, it's 877-864-4869. That's 877-864-4869. I'm sorry, Steve, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I uh, did have that request.
0: No, that's, that's okay. I was just trying to clarify, you know, this term, the dead, because – we use it, and science would understand it, and I think general, the general population would. But to a spiritualist, um, they, you know, they were quite uh, sort of clear to make this distinction that, that death is a transition, not uh, an end.
2: Well, we didn't say it was an end, did we? We just used the term death.
0: Yeah, I was just using the opportunity to uh, emphasize that, that difference in belief between science and, and you know, spiritualism.
2: Yeah, I mean, I believe that, uh, you know, we can use terms as long as we define them. I mean, this is like the the spirit-ghost controversy, you know, what is a spirit, what is a ghost? I mean, I use them interchangeable, but uh, people will sit there and argue uh, with me about it. But that's my definition of it, just, you know, so unless you define it, then actually it depends on how you define it, I guess you
0: would say so what do you define the difference between a ghost and a spirit i don't i use them interchangeably oh i i would say there was a difference yeah you
2: are because to you there is well i i
0: think for psychical research there is because a ghost is is a description that that uh covers a range of of apparitions of of visual experiences of audible experiences um a spirit is, is more more traditionally uh, the sort of that that sense of consciousness that's passed over. I mean, a ghost could be you know a, a time slip, a recording playing back. Um, it may not be sentient or intelligent. It may just be something going through the motions of. Um, whereas a spirit is always defined as the sort of the consciousness, the soul, the the, the car of the person who has passed over and remains with a degree of intelligence uh, sort of post-death. So I think there is a definite difference between ghost and spirit. And I think it's something that, that has a sort of bedeviled psychical research for well, for all time, because people do confuse ghost hunting with uh, research into survival of death. And there may be links between a ghost and a spirit, um, but ghost research is is essentially trying to understand the mechanism of hauntings, of apparitions, of poltergeists, uh, which may or may not actually be related to survival.
2: Right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you could still – it's st- still – whether it's intelligent or, or just a recorded, uh, it's still a phenomena. So, you mean, I don't understand – uh, I guess let me see. I mean, I, I understand the distinguish how you distinguish them, but if you're dis- you're investigating a phenomena, does it really matter if it's a ghost or a spirit? Uh,
0: well, it does if we're trying to determine what 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 the cause is. I mean, if we're trying to work out whether, for example, the cause is mundane, it's an environmental uh, phenomenon. Um, mm-hmm. Sound, you know, causes people to have these feelings and. Okay. They then hallucinate. Then that is completely separate from spirit. Um, okay. Whereas if people,
2: well, women, uh, uh, let me let me actually, I'm going uh, If you go to investigate a haunting, where either a spirit or ghosts is there, is in the, you're investigating a haunting. You're in, and you, you define what is there. In other words, you determine if it's a. Non-living uh, entity, or, or a uh, recording, basically, or, or something else that's affecting.
0: Yes, um, there, there are certain limits on that, though, because we don't yet know uh, truly what a ghost, what a ghost actually is. We have, we have Which descriptions. You feel it, that- <laughs> well, I don't. Uh, we we are you we surprised? know. End. What is a ghost, and you you too will be enlightened uh well, maybe we should ask Richard next time we get him on, but yeah, i mean, mean we understand we under- we do understand the general term if I, if i say to you um, you know i 've seen a ghost, you have a general idea of what i 'm talking about however uh the word also if you see a shadowy gray form, you might say you've seen a ghost if you then see a uh, A Civil War soldier, uh, solid three-dimensional, who then disappears. You will also say you've seen a ghost. But the mechanisms that are causing those two phenomena might be completely different and unrelated. Uh, A spiritualist or a medium might go along and communicate with the spirit of a ghost. um, Mm -hmm. or uh, Sorry, not a ghost, the spirit of a deceased Civil War soldier. And I remember... I remember uh, the, one, way, one way of making the distinction is we were in an investigation uh, a number of years ago and people were reporting the sound of footsteps. Um, the medium who was involved in the investigation said, there, that's the police sergeant walking around in the room above us. Now, the medium could say that, Because they could psychically detect or psychically communicate with the spirit of the police sergeant. All we were able to do um, was say, well, I can hear a sound and it sounds like footsteps. So right. you know there was there was a clear difference in in our abilities. You know we were we couldn't say oh well that was that was a size ten boot belonging to a police sergeant. All we could well, say is we. Well, I, I it hear the show,
2: so that we have to take a break right now. We'll have to continue this after the break. Uh, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International. With uh, Mr. Parascience himself, Steve Parsons, and everyone's own Van Helsink, the humble Ron Kolak, Right here on uh, Togenet, Parax Ghost Channel, and beyond. We'll be right back after the following messages.
1: Welcome to Togenet, radio with a cutting edge.
3: shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal, the topics are abnormal, the Paris family,
0: they're strange, deranged, unrestrained,
3: so grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give <laughs> I am brave beyond belief.
2: Nothing yeah, we'll see. Scares me. Except so, anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles: Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then.
1: Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place and oasis in this hectic
2: world. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on TojiNet. Pararex, Ghost channel and beyond, and I'm not quite sure what we were at, but I do want to mention one thing, and which you might like to hear about, uh, Steve, is this month in September, actually, uh, my paranormal study group will be doing a remote uh, experiment. Uh, I can't right. say too much about it because it's it's a it's a blind experiment. So, uh, but I will as soon as it gets over and done with, I'll let you. Let you know uh, what happens with it, but I'm really excited
0: about it. Okay, that sounds pretty interesting. You got us all on tender hooks there. Yeah, I know it. So, anyway, I just want to. I I just want to. Um, I, I, I just want to um, you, you probably already have it. Well, you do have it over there. A great American um, contribution to 21st century living, or 20th century living. We finally got found a supplier. Uh, when I was stateside, we, we we I came across this. A confection uh, that you guys make over there and mm-hmm. can't get it over here but now you can marshmallow fluff thank you America marshmallow fluff oh god bless you god bless America
2: yeah. marshmallow fluff okay now you can make fluffernuppers and you can make s'mores and just
0: yeah That's it's great we found that uh, there's a little little confectionery shop that now imports it over here and uh, it's wonderful. We've we've got a whole cupboard full now.
2: So glad we can, you know, civilize you. So, <laughs> but you know, I, I did want to go back to uh, a little bit about your experiences in the in the as a nurse. Um, I was actually watching this this program, and uh, it, it was kind of interesting because it talked about near death experience. And in near-death experience, this seems to be uh, like an increase in the amount of electrical charge that goes into the body or something. Because a lot of times that people are actually brought back through uh, uh, defibrillators and so forth. But anyways, even, even without that, there seems to be an increase in electro- electrical activity. And, uh, I, and actually, psychic ability seems to increase after a near-death experience
0: you have any comment on that um it's not something i ever encountered uh whilst working in as as a nurse i I, I, there are there are a number of anecdotes uh, um that you could associate to, uh, to my time in nursing what i mean there was never ever um a hospital or or uh, facility that I worked in that didn't have um, an active ghost story, and some of them were really quite, uh, quite good with lots of you know really really good witnesses. But obviously, mm-hmm. you know, not the sort of location that it would be. There was one in particular where the um, what you would call the OR uh, had an excellent an excellent uh, series of witnesses to a haunting uh, that had been ongoing for a number of years and had disturbed many of the staff. But of course given given the uh, sterile uh, nature of the location and also the nature of the location itself you know it was a main a regional hospital operating room facility uh, it, it was uninvestigatable um, and also you know management didn't want any association between uh, the paranormal and and their oR uh, but every every nursing home every hospital um, has has a you know Normally, has a, uh, a ghost story so associated ghost story. But what's interesting, um, I, I can't comment on the electrical increase. Yeah, I, I, I see death, I, Unfortunately, no, we, I would, we never routinely measured it. So um, it's pretty clever. It, it, how you just skip right over it. I like that. Um, but, but what I can comment on is that mm-hmm. I almost don't know a single nurse or hospital worker who doesn't uh, have, a, have a, a sort of ghost story. But what's most interesting is most nurses seem to develop an ability to come on duty, um, perhaps after a day or two off, and then quite quickly, um, without reading the notes or, or having any form of patient report, quite quickly can, can scan around the patients uh, under their charge uh, and work out who's going to die you know, sort of, imminently, quite, you know, sort really? of in the next. Absolutely, and it was something I, 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 I too was able to do. You would come on duty, and oh, you maybe? would just, you would just know uh that somebody was going to pass. Now, you some might say that was a psychic ability, but but also you got to bear in mind that there's four years of training, and you become quite skilled in looking for signs that that the normal untrained observer would miss. You know, a hint in the skin pallor or, you know, the, the colour of the lips or the eyes. But often it, there wouldn't be, you know, if you sat down and thought about it, you actually would sit and think, well, there's no reason why I think that's going to happen, but I know it is going to happen. And more often than not, it would happen. Um, it, Whether it's super training or whether it's actually some sort of empathy with the patients or or their condition that develops in time. But I know a great many nurses can do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, thank God. I I actually had a doctor that that did that for me. I had no outward signs or anything, and yet uh, she picked up her name was uh, – oh, God, I just forgot her name. That's nice. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) to <laughs> <De> selva <laughs> anyways um she picked up on a, on a embolism on me and actually saved my life so uh yeah i can see that maybe that's a, a sense that develops through years of uh attuning into particular uh, aspects of of human
0: um, energy that might well be the case but it certainly is the case um i, I I know from personal experience, it, you know, it did happen It did happen to me. And I, you know what a spoilsport and, uh, I, I, and a rationalist I like to be. But there were, you know, no, a number of occasions when you would come on duty. Uh, before you had a handover, as you were walking through the ward, uh, you would look around and you would just say, you're not going to make it. And you just knew that they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, you know, as, as I said, rationally, uh, you, you've been trained, your senses are working, you know, you're able to pick up those small signs, or it may be, as you say, you develop a, a sort of empathy with, with the patients and with the with those conditions. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it does happen and lots of nurses report it. And <clears throat> I don't think it's that surprising that, that nurses I, I know a lot of nurses also investigate the paranormal or are interested in the paranormal. Um, the, you know, if you go through the lists of uh, occupations in paranormal teams there's actually quite a few people who work in 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 the nursing profession or or one of the related care professions and i think there is a, a sort of basic humanities that, that sort of super developed within uh nursing and caring um uh, that that sort of branches over into an interest in the supernatural and also because Many of the places in which in which carers and nurses uh, work also have their associated ghosts, ghost stories, and hauntings. So it, it's something that sort of almost goes hand in hand with the job.
2: I think so, and and I know myself that um, quite a few times, well, not quite a few, but there there were times. But I've been in hospitals and and. I felt that same feelings that I had in a in a haunted location uh which I found interesting uh you know like sometimes i i know one particular he was going down a corridor and it was like just walking through jello it was and you you also heard that stuff as well so uh i mean and and just a feeling in general, but uh once again could be uh infrastructure but I you know,
0: could be wrong I don't know i mean if you take take a hospital um there is there is every one of the human emotions played out there isn't it you have the the birth you have the extreme happiness the delight of the birth, you have the anxiety of illness, the fear mm-hmm. of what's going to happen, and you have the you know the the death the utter desolation the grieving that, that gets left behind um and you have you know, the passing, the actual moment of passing uh, taking place as well, you know, uh, many times a day often, uh, sometimes traumatically, sometimes peacefully, sometimes expected, sometimes sudden. I think, you know, if you're going to choose a building um, that's going to have a haunting, then a hospital has <laughs> got to be further up the scale than, than a, a damp old castle or a, or a small house somewhere
2: yeah I was just thinking how
0: about a confessional
2: thing in a church that's going to be uh, pretty emotional too
0: um, well, there are lots of churches over here that, that have their resident ghost or resident spook um, some of them are more investigatable than others, yeah. but you know there are there are countless churches over here um, with their resident Resident ghosts they tend to frequent the churches here rather than the the, the, the cemeteries. I think oh, over there you, I think your ghosts tend to prefer the outdoor life. Uh, it might just be because your climate 's a bit nicer uh, <laughs> <clears throat> but over here we, we we tend to have them inside the church rather than in the churchyard yeah,
2: I mean, that was interesting about the hospital, so I, I have to admit and i, and I did know, did not know that you were a nurse at one time, so
0: I it you, might be uh, interesting actually, Google. people in the chat rooms. Um, you know, who are health workers or, or, you know, friends, family of health workers might be able to give us some, some of their own experiences on that.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, we uh, we should put that out for a future topic and, and that we can, you know, let people know that we're going to be talking about it and uh, hopefully it can come up with some, uh, you know. Witness te- testimony about it, and let us know. I remember, in fact, uh, when I first started the uh, the radio show years ago on WCCM, there used to be this cat in uh, Connecticut that used to live in a nursing home, and it would always visit the person that was going to die just before they died.
0: It was a death cat. Uh, one nursing home I worked in had a uh, a good a good um, story attached to it. Whenever one of the residents died. Uh, the staff always used to uh, wait downstairs for 30 minutes before um, preparing the body for the for the undertaker. Um, in order for, uh, as they used to say, in order to allow death to come and take the body. Now, uh, one night I was actually working on duty um, when one of the residents passed. And in order to, you know, not to upset the rest of the staff, I, I sort of went along with this, uh, uh, ritual that they developed about sitting down and waiting for thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and one of the girls who, one of the uh, healthcare workers, uh, had said uh, that that normally the corridor door will open, and then you can you know hear footsteps, and then the corridor door closes, and then they know it's 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 okay to go up. And do you really? know what? And <laughs> I was going to say, and do you know what? After about fifteen minutes. The corridor door opened, or the sound of it you know you could hear the corridor door, and a few minutes later you heard the corridor door again, and then the girls went up um but the door you know there was a clear sound I heard the sound um it was that door because I went and played around with it a little later uh, I didn't see anything i didn't you know I didn't experience anything other than you know uh, fulfillment of of what what you know what what they had said. So maybe, maybe somebody did come and collect. Um, I've been with, I've been with a lot of people, as you can imagine. I've been with a lot of people at the moment of, of death. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've never seen anything, you know, people report that the, uh, they see things ascending from the body or, Mm -hmm. or, or, a change in the body. I've never, ever seen that, um, in any of the, the many that I've been with at the, at the moment of death, um, so I can't, you know, I've, I've got no experience of that. But certainly this one in, in this nursing home this night certainly did. You know, they, they had this, you know, story, you know, don't go up for half an hour. And, you know, the door did make a noise.
2: Well, that brings up another interesting
0: point, though, is
2: why would a spirit open a door? I mean, wouldn't they just be able to pass through the wall or are we talking? I, I don't know. Why, why would that
0: happen? Well, I mean, this this is one of the big problems of psychical research, isn't it? It goes hand in hand with why do ghosts wear clothes? Um, you yeah. know, these, these, these ethereal that, that I understand, believe it or not, more than the door opening. But I mean, these ethereal bodies, as you say, can walk through doors and pass through pass through solid objects. Are able to you know bang things, move things, shove things, open and close sure. doors. at will. Um, sure. And it, it's it's one of those conundrums. Why can something that, that has no form and has no mass uh, be able to interact with something that that you know has mass and has has density and has inertia? Um, it's we haven't got the answers for it. Yeah, we get a lot of work. But anyway,s
2: we have a um, an- another episode of uh, cemetery tripping coming up. And uh, I think we're going to change gear again when we get back. So, anyways, you'll listen to Ghost Chronicles, and here's another Cemetery Tripping.
3: Welcome to Cemetery Tripping where each week I will feature a different cemetery that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping, or following the link from the Ghost Chronicles Next Generation page. Today I would like to share with you a cemetery from Bucksport, Maine, appropriately named Buck Cemetery. This is a small family cemetery that would be fairly nondescript if not for the notoriety of one monument erected there namely that of Colonel Jonathan Buck. He was born in Haverhill, Mass., in 1716, and founded the town of Bucksport in 1762. His family erected the large monument, which stands at the front of the cemetery facing the main road, approximately 60 years after his death. Mysteriously, an outline of what looks like a leg and a foot appeared on the face of the monument. Although an honorable leader of the community, who was key in the development of local industry... Somehow, a legend sprung up regarding the odd stain. The legend goes that Colonel Buck condemned a woman as a witch and sentenced her to death by burning. As the sentence was being carried out, supposedly the witch cursed him and said, So long shall my curse be upon thee and my sign upon thy tombstone. As she burned, her leg rolled out of the fire, and her deformed son, who was rejected by the community, grabbed it, further insulted the colonel, and ran off into the woods, never to be seen again. It is also said that attempts to remove the stain from the stone were futile, so they ripped it down and erected a second stone, only to have the stain reappear. No one really knows how this tale came about, but it is quite a story, and to this day the cemetery is a tourist attraction in the town of Bucksport. However, it only takes a small amount of logic and application of history to poke quite a few holes in it. The era of colonial witchcraft and the infamous Massachusetts trials were over long before Jonathan Buck was even born. There is no record of anyone being burned or otherwise executed for witchcraft in the state of Maine. In addition, this is the original stone, not a replacement. Stone cutters say this kind of stain is common after long exposure, but can be removed by repolishing and buffing the stone. However, when it is exposed to air, the surface will eventually oxidize and the stain will reappear. Due to the tourist attraction, the cemetery is surrounded by a wrought iron fence with ornamental spikes on the top, perfect to deter a cemetery tripper like me from entering the site. And believe me, I tried. But it is a lovely historical site that deserves a stop if you are ever visiting the Bucksport area. There is also an awesome Fort Knox right across the river from the cemetery, into which you can gain entry without injury.
2: I always love that one.
0: Yeah, we we don't tend to frequent. Uh, I mean. You know, cemetery ghost hunting over here isn't really um, high on the agenda, but, um, mm. you know, cemetery visiting, um, cemetery tripping certainly is. Uh, lots of people put on pictures of, uh, of their trips around. We have some, some pretty old ones, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's a cool thing to do on a, on a sunny afternoon
2: anyways uh, we do have a comment on about the uh, the opening door and i kind of thought we would uh trish from the uh pararex chat room says spirit could open the door out of habit you know if the ghost was human it's the learned behavior that the door has to be opening before you to go into the next room
0: it's as good an explanation as any here you go um, we don't know the mechanism how they actually do it you know how a uh, uh they they're able to move matter but then we don't know the answers to very much i'm afraid
2: i agree uh we don't know that's the that's the cool thing about what we do but anyways i i know that uh we're kind of running out of time but uh you know i got an email from cal who wanted to be here but he got tied up somewhere um and he was quite upset about some guy with a fake Parapsychology degree?
0: You know anything about this, Steve? Uh, I got the same email, but we unfortunately we do have a lot of uh, fake qualit. Well, no, they're not fake, are they? They're they're not recognised by uh, academic qualifications. Um, you know, but there are there are a lot of opportunities for people to to gain. Uh, should we call them pseudo qualifications? Uh, I remember once I was at well, well, what are we a- talking about? Pseudo qualifications.
2: I'm, well, I'm not- you have to kind of define it. You just can't, like, throw well,
0: it up. I, I would say that, uh, I mean, you can't actually get a qualification in parapsychology um, as such because it, it isn't actually a speciality. It's, you know, most parapsychologists are actually just psychologists who, who study paranormal or, or uh, you know, psy-paranormal phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there are organizations that offer qualifications uh some of them are accredited qualifications um in parapsychology uh but the when you look at the modules these include things like shamanism um earth energies or all manner of of other things i call them pseudo qualifications simply because they're not uh, Recognised by academic institutes, universities, okay. etc. So, so they're not regulated in the same way that that perhaps a degree or or a master's degree or a doctorate would be. Um, some of them are just plain daft. I mean, you know, you, there's, uh, I, I um, you know, you can do, you can get get a qualification as a demonologist um, by undertaking a, a short online course, and then you can call yourself a demonologist. Um, oh. There are similar qualifications available in parapsychology and ghost hunting in, 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 in sort of so many related fields uh, i suppose what, one thing that people do say which is is oft repeated is that there are no quali- you can't have qualifications in the paranormal um right. well to an extent that's true because there are no such qualifications in the paranormal um but you can have an expertise in it of course you can um because most of investigating the paranormal re- you know involves normal stuff measuring things documenting stuff um and you can be very well qualified in normal stuff you're just applying it to uh a, you know a, a different field yeah. um, so yeah, yes I think you can have expertise in the paranormal. I don't think you can have you can be an expert in the paranormal specifically. I think you have to, you know, be an expert in in the normal applied uh, so sort of applied paranormal or applied normal.
2: So I mean uh, I'm trying to kind of like so these certificates I guess that, that what they are is basically you can get them online is it, are are there uh schools that actually issue them as well
0: i you've got both options um you've got some where you can um simply join an institute or an online thing and and add letters to your name uh there are others where you you fill in questionnaires or you you read some online material uh inevitably you you, you pay for it um and then you can you you can uh claim to be a parapsychologist or claim to be uh, uh, a demonologist or claim to be uh, a psychical investigator. Um, right. There are some, I mean, you know, there are some where you just click a box and just pay you $25. <laughs> uh, that, I love that one. That's why I'm allowed to be a member Chase. of, you know, well, you know, I'm a member of, I, I'm an ordained minister um, because yeah. I, you know, I did exactly that ten years ago. Um and there are, there are you know, you, you can gain your qualifications that way. Um I think in, in terms of um Cal in particular, who's who's working very hard, he, he's just done his degree, he's working very hard towards his PhD. Um Yeah, I guess it's kind of frustrating. You know, he's putting in the work, he's putting in the hours, he's he's going to the conferences, he's submitting the papers to the scientific journals, and getting accreditation for his work. And then he meets somebody who's spent a couple of hundred bucks, and they're a parapsychologist. And to the lay members of the public, there is no difference. Um, I know, that's
2: the thing that's
0: killer. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing. You can call yourself a parapsychologist, a demonologist, and you can call yourself an expert, and the poor sap who, who gets you round, round your house um, to, to do the investigation, it's luck of the draw. Do you get somebody like Lloyd Auer back, or do you get you know somebody straight off the street who's done a $25 course? There you go. You know the interesting thing is is
2: when I wrote my book Ghost Chronicles, um, they you know the, the publisher of course does it, the title for you and everything, and they pretty much have it. And, and it was called Ghost Chronicles, and it's seventeen things about from I think it's a psychic medium and a paranormal scientist. That's what they called me in, in the uh, title, and, and I had somebody who was quite upset because I was called a paranormal scientist and. They said there is no such thing, blah blah blah, and in, in reality, I don't think there's a degree in paranormal science. That paranormal science, but can you be a paranormal scientist? Do you are you uh, let's the are you a scientist applying your craft to the paranormal?
0: The title paranormal scientist is the title I often give myself, and it's because I'm applying. The, the scientific methods and principles to uh, the study of ghost hauntings, poltergeists, and similar phenomena. Because, you know, so I don't think that's a misleading title at all. I am a scientist who is studying the paranormal.
2: And uh, actually, somebody in the uh, parex chat, chat room wanted to know where they could get my book. And the book, of course, is called Ghost Chronicles, and it's available on Amazon. And, you know, the other interesting thing, somehow we're going to talk about the book, and I didn't mean to do that. uh, (laughs) Uh, But, um, you know, the other thing, my religion plays part in what I do. Uh, It's my beliefs. And so, of course, I get criticized for that as well. I mean, can we accept that that people have different religions and that if that's what they believe in, accept it for what it is and, and how they look at things?
0: I think we must absolutely respect other people's beliefs, regardless of how bizarre or different they are from our own, Um, each to their own. I agree. I agree 100%. Oh. Good night. God bless. (laughs) That's why I was quick. Good night. From ghoulies to ghosties, long legged beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver
1: us, good Lord.